on the tee, Jack Nicholas. This is the minute the millions around the world have waited for. We will allow you to enjoy all of this. They are dancing in the pubs of Dublin. Harrington with an ace. And we have a shining star at sunset. Rory continues his run to greatness. The return to glory. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of the Bogeyman Golf Podcast. In this episode, I'm delighted to say that I'm going to be joined by Irish actor and TV presenter, Simon Delaney. Simon was an absolute gentleman with his time. We had this chat in the lead up to the 150th Open Championship. And Simon spoke to me all about how he got into golf, originally just as a caddy, not even getting to play. Uh, he also then spoke to us about what it was like getting to see Seve play the Irish Open in Royal Dublin and Port Marnock in the 80s, as well as how iconic Seve was just for the game of golf as a whole, with the Open being back in St. Andrews this year, the those memorable moments of Seve winning the Claret Jug at St. Andrews, those moments really had a lasting impression on Simon. Simon now has got back into golf after a bit of a hiatus, and he is taking the lessons that his father taught him before his untimely death on the golf course. And now Simon is applying those to his own son's game and, and getting his own son into the game of golf and finding a whole new love of the game. But super quick before we get into the chat with Simon, just a reminder that the Bogeyman Golf Podcast is brought to you by Quack Golf. They have loads of new gear. The boys had a great time over at St. Andrews at the Open Championship. And remember, if you go to quackgolf.com, enter in coupon code Bogeyman at checkout, you get 15% off. Go support the lads. They're a good Irish company with great gear. Now, without any further ado, here's Simon Delaney. Now, guys, I am delighted to say that I'm joined by Simon Delaney, I guess, Simon, how are you, first of all? I'm good, Johnny. Thank you for having me on. It's, been a pl- it's a pleasure to be here with you. It's a pleasure to have you on. I, I was going to go through a big introduction as to who you are and what ah, you who do. Who cares? But, <laughs> <laughs> um, my, I, I then thought about it and I was like, how, how does Simon introduce himself? Like, what, what do you say you are? Because you've done you've I do a lot of things. I, I suppose, I, I mean, I'm most regularly int- introduced as an actor because that's what I've been doing for over 20 years now um but i I suppose being self-employed and being an actor you have to diversify you know so you end up most actors in ireland end up doing theater television uh, movies uh, radio plays radio dramas then i get into doing a bit of presenting did a lot of documentary series uh and now i'm presenting ireland am as well still acting uh still you know filming away doing other bits and pieces um so I think how am I just how would I be introduced? I don't know. All rounder to to rob a cricketing parlance, I suppose I'll be an all rounder. <laughs> and um I, I I'm intrigued I'm intrigued by the the acting career. It's mm. it's not uh it's not a career that I guess many people get get to pursue or get to no. get to become. How did you get into it? Well, I, I I came to it late. I mean, I was in my early 20s when I joined the local drama group and I just started doing plays and musicals and just got bitten by the bug. And then I was, I had a modicum of talent. So I started getting asked to do shows with different drama groups and societies around Dublin. So I was playing a lot of football at the time and then the football training was into the rehearsals. So I kind of packed in the sport and 
just started doing plays and musicals all around the city, all around the country. We used to tour around doing one act and three act drama festival circuits around Ireland. We were doing competitions and and then luckily enough, I, I got a chance to do a short film um, that a cousin of mine, her partner, had written this short movie, a three-hander. Uh, said in 1916 about these three IRA men who were trapped in a basement on the day in 1916 on Easter Rising. And uh, they had three actors lined up and uh, one of them a week before shooting pulled out uh, because he got a job. He got a, re- a paying job because mostly when you do shorts and you do favours for friends, they're for nothing. You do, you're doing them for nothing. You're doing them for camera experience. Sure. And uh, he pulled out, so it meant there was a gap. There was a gap in the cast, and my cousin had just seen me doing a play in Anders Lane Theatre, and and rang me in work one day. I was working in a, in a motor factor's place in Crow Park, and uh, she said, "Do you want to do a film?" I said, "I didn't mean do a film." She said, "Well, there's a part in the film going. It's a week filming in Ardmore Studios." And I thought, "Absolutely." So I asked my boss for a week off. He said, "Yeah, go for it. Fair play to him." He said. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I did the movie and about six months later then it, it premiered at the Galway Film Flat and um, and an agent w- was watching the movie and she she got in touch with me and said, look, do you want to give this a go? She said, I think you might be able to, you know, uh, you know, survive or make a living in this business. I was only 26 and I thought, um, I thought, well, I'll give it a go for a year, you know, because I can always go back. I was a sales rep at the time, you know, I said, I can always go back and pick up rep and work, you know. Yeah. And that was uh, that was twenty three years ago, and I'm still with the same agent, and uh, <laughs> she's now one of my best pals. Um, yeah, so we've been through a lot together, um, and then it kind of rolled from there. I landed my first movie not long after signing with her, and then I signed up to do a radio drama, a weekly radio drama with RTE that I did every week, and and then gigs just started to roll in, and I just consistently kept working. Um, and I've been very lucky. Luck plays a huge part of it, as it does in golf. But um, I've been very lucky. I have, I have what I'd like to think is a decent work ethic. I don't, you know, I don't like to be idle. Um, I'm always trying to create work myself, even to this day. And uh, yeah, so that's where it started, and that's how I get into it. And uh, touch wood, I'm still waiting for someone to knock on the door and say, "Right, come on, give this malarkey up now and go back <laughs> repping," you know. <laughs> but it hasn't happened yet, Johnny. And um, you mentioned there that <clears throat> an element of luck plays into the, the career. I'm going to make hundred percent, yeah. As it does in golf, how did you how did you first get into golf? Um, well, my father, my late father, was a huge golf fan, and my first experiences of golf wasn't playing golf; it was caddying for him. I learned how to caddy before I learned how to play. Um, he was a member in Balbriggan uh, oh, 30, 40 years ago. Himself and my granddad and my uncle were all members out there. And I remember as an eight or nine, ten-year-old being brought out because I'd, I'd obviously insisted on going with him. And I was clearly a pain in the arse enough for my mother to say, would you please take him out of the house for a couple of hours? And I went out and I wasn't playing. I was I learned how to caddy. And that was a great experience for years. You know, I learned how to caddy, how to hold the pin properly, how to address the the pin, you know, just the etiquette of the game, marking the scorecards, learning about Stableford's, learning about... Just if watching different different players, amateurs, every amateur swing was different, learning, you know, about different clubs. And that was my kind of grounding in the game. And then I remember when I was about 12 or 13, we had relations who lived 
not far from Birmingham in the UK. And we used to go over on our summer holidays and we'd take in the British Open. My dad was that big a golf fan. So we'd go to the British Open for a day while we were on our holidays. And I I still have vivid memories of walking around Lytham and St. Anne's. My dad was a huge Tom Watson fan and we, we religiously followed Tom Watson. And I remember one particular summer, and I, you know, we all remember the summers, and they were always very sunny, but this day, this day was scorching. And I remember thousands of people, and we had the old telescopic things, cardboard things that one of the tabloids gave away when you walked in the gate of the open, and we were, crowds were 10, 15 deep following Watson. And I think he came off the 11th green and was walking to the 12th tee, and I kind of, I was only a little short arse, and I got, got pushed in front of him. And he put his hand on my head, he ruffled my hair, he said, how are you, pal? And my father, <laughs> my father brought me home that day and said to me, mother, don't wash that child's hair. <laughs> He's been touched by the hand of God, ever. Um, but I remember that was kind of, that was incredible watching that. And then we all, as a family, fell in love with Sevi. Sevi was a huge part of our lives. Um, yeah. My sister actually has a Siempre Sevi tattoo on, on her, her arm, Forever really? Sevi. He, yeah, he, he was a huge part of our lives because around then, it's, I'm talking about 82, because I know he won, he won the Carol's Irish Open in 80, 83, 85, and 86, I think it was. And we had a next-door neighbor who's, who had a relation who used to drive an outside broadcast truck for RTE. And on the week of the Carol's Irish Open, which at the time was on in Royal Dublin, and we lived in Rohini, so not too far away. But yeah. he would pull up outside the neighbor's house, and we'd all jump into the back of the van <laughs> and then drive straight through the gates at the Carl's Irish Open. And he'd leave us out, and then he'd leave us, pick us up at eight o'clock that night. So we spent, we were like feral rats running around the cars at Royal Dublin. But my focus uh, was Sevy. I followed Sevy everywhere. Um, and I still, I can still see him following him out of the clubhouse on a Sunday. And he was playing with Brian Barnes. And I remember following him to the first tee. And he just, he just had this aura. And he looked like a rock star. And he was tanned and the, the jet black hair and the beautiful navy sweater and a gold Rolex watch. And I thought, this guy is just the business. And then he just stripes it down the first. And we followed him everywhere. And I remember back in the day, they used to, he used to do clinics. Like if you think about it now, like clinics during the week of a tournament. Like, uh, and I remember he used to hold a clinic on the 18th green uh, in the evening at, at Royal Dublin. And I remember sitting with thousands of people around the 18th green and he stood on the green and his caddy stood about 250 back up the fairway. And his caddy had a baseball uh, catcher's mitt. And Sevy would drive back down the fairway. And he ne- the caddy, I swear to God, never moved more than eight, ten feet. He just boom, plucked him out of the air. Sevy was hitting drives off his knees. He was hitting drives off one leg. And then he'd throw a few balls in the bunker. He'd do a little bit of a bunker work. And then he'd throw a dozen balls in the green and do a putting master class. And I was just absolutely smitten by the guy. And the way he played golf is why, why everyone loved him, why I loved him. And then having those memories of watching him do what he did at St. Andrews and the Matador celebration. And, and then, you know, right through his career, like what he did for European golf, what he did for the Ryder Cup, you know, winning the Masters first of all was, was that watershed moment for European golf and for European players. You know, it made Americans realize that other people in the world played golf. And not only do they do that, they play it bloody well. You know, and Seve broke that kind of barrier. Um, and then the Ryder Cup, the Ryder Cup was very special as well to me. And, and then watch what Sevy did as a player. I mean, you know, those images of him and Nick Valdo crying 
these these guys were were so competitive. These guys didn't like each other, you know. Yeah. And then watching them crying and holding each other on, on the 18th green. He's 87, was it in the states? 87 with Darcy, yeah. Yeah, it, it just it, it it's so emotional to me, you know. And then obviously then he he got sick and you know there was all that coverage and even the coverage of his funeral again. Nick Faldo being interviewed outside his funeral and Nick just breaking down crying like you know they were mortal enemies in the golf course but they absolutely loved each other and they loved what each other did for team europe you know um and then obviously he passed away at, at such a young age and and even still then you know watching the Ryder cup at medina they're all wearing the sevy jumpers on the last day and justin rose pointing to the picture of sevy on the sleeve and jose mario Lathabal crying on the 18th green this is for you you know just it's he he was just for me he was the ultimate pro the ultimate competitor the ultimate player and the ultimate sports personality you know that's why i fell in love with the game and then i started playing then you know when i was sort of 13 and 14 having watched sevy i'm watching those master classes and those clinics we used to go down to our local uh, pitch and put our par three down in st anne's park in Rohini, and i would only ever bring seven iron a wedge and a putter and that's where I learned how to play. That that was my my forte. Still to this day is, is the short game. It's the use of that seven iron around the greens and oh, don't worry, I got up close and personal with uh, <laughs> a, a Sevy esque experience. <laughs> you pitching it out of the water at Moy Valley. Oh well yeah, that well that was that was a miracle really. <laughs> that was a miracle shot, really. But but that's why we loved Sevy, wasn't it? Yeah. So if you'd see a ball in the water and go, of course I'm gonna play it. Yeah, I see the shot. Yeah, of course I'll play it. What would I be dropping out for? But uh, yeah, so that's when I sort of started playing then. And then I, I used to play a bit of society golf down with my dad and going outings with him around the country and loved that, you know. And then eventually just kept playing regularly and was playing three or four times a week. And, uh, you know, I had got my handicap down. I think I was at one point, maybe 12, 13. I was really enjoying it. And then started having kids. And the more kids I had, the less weekly visits to the golf course there were. And so I kind of, I've never fallen out of love with the game. I've, I've, fallen away in terms of playing as regularly as i'd like to but you know having four boys and my my uh, 13 soon to be 14 year old elliot has been bitten by the bug now so he's i'm bringing he's him out to yeah he's 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 my uh, he's got, been, i gotta go to the golf course Elliot's yeah time to go. yeah Elliot, he's out there asking me again fast. he wants to go to the bloody driving range <laughs> again look so up we go but uh, you know he he's really got the bug because he's been watching the golf with me because i watch golf coverage all the time it's my it's my go-to kind of therapy i love just putting it on in the morning leaving it on and doing your things for the day and you know he gets and he got invested and he knows who all the players are and then i was lucky enough then to bring him out to meet you guys he got his taste of first taste of a golf course you know proper course and and then i brought him down to the pro-am at, at the irish open last week and he just loved it so so i'm reckoning what is he now 14 i give him what another seven eight give him eight years johnny so the master's sort of 20 30 maybe we should be out <laughs> so put that uh that jerry well, that in the diary johnny yeah you may be on the 18th grade <laughs> <laughs> it'll be you standing there me standing right next to you both both those balls in their eyes out <laughs> exactly yeah recreating exactly. the tiger moment exactly exactly so you said that you you started out caddying for your dad. And mm. kind of, I imagine that was you were going around with the shag bag for him whenever he was down striping balls. Absolutely. When did you guys get to first play together? What age were you? 
Yeah, I suppose I would have been about <clears throat> maybe maybe 17 or 18 before he kind of let me come along on one of those kind of society outings. And then I remember playing in a match play, a society match play that was actually out in Balbriggan. <clears throat> and I was playing against one of the society regulars. And, I, and this guy was about 15 or 16, handicapped, decent golfer, you know. And I was only a kid and I beat him, you know, and I remember my dad being in, he's in the four ball in front of me or behind me, you know, and he obviously had got word that I was kind of three up with four to play or whatever it was. And he stood and watched me then as I won that game. And then I played with him and he was a strange man to play with. He was very, um, Jesus, he had a terrible golf swing, you know, he, he that duck's arse golf swing and the, the club was down very low. And, and he'd always just say the one thing to you before he hit it, he'd say, keep an eye on this. And I thought, well, what are you going to do? What, what, what are you doing? You're just going to hit it. And I have to watch it. But I remember that like, you know, from when I was 10 to, you know, to when he actually passed away playing golf, would you believe? Uh, up in the up in the, sev- the 17th green in RD golf club. What a way to go. But um, yeah, I remember playing with him and he was, he was uh, very competitive, but he was also very, um, he was very aware of the, the etiquette of the game. You know, shutting your mouth when someone else was teeing off, stand behind the player, uh, don't walk on somebody's line, you know, who's, don't play out of turn. And he believed in that, in the, the honesty of the game as well. You know, he, he very early on taught me, you know, you're going to meet a lot of golfers, particularly society golfers, who you'll see them kicking the ball out of the, out of the roof or kicking the ball. Found it, you know, one of those ones when he, we've all been in there for 10 minutes. He said, you'll meet them. He said, just, he said, there's nothing you can do about it. Just don't become one of them, you know, play the game, honestly. <clears throat> and, uh, and I did, and I still do to this day, you know. I mean, it's, he used to always say to me, who are you cheating on yourself, you know. But, uh, yeah, so I love I loved playing with him. And, and then he, I remember one time that we were over the British Open and himself and a couple of my relations in England, we used to drink in a local pub in a place called Henley and Arden in England, mm. just outside Birmingham. And they got whisper uh, that there was potentially a tea time available in St. Andrews over the next few days. And uh, back in the day, I remember, I think you needed a GUI to play in it or something. And my dad, there was frantic you know, murmurings, the frantic movements of the pub that night as the, the fax machine was put into play in the pub where the phone call, they, they rang Bad Brigham and they had to fax his GUI to the pub. And they got a four ball and he brought my sister, my older sister. And I remember them going off the next time. I was very, very upset. Now, but they went off and they drove from Birmingham up to St. Andrews <clears throat> through the night. And they played St. Andrews. And I still have the photographs of him, my dad and my sister standing at the road hall on the 17th, and oh. the bridge. Yeah, amazing. Absolutely amazing. Because uh, my sister played a bit back in the day and then kind of let it go as she got older. But she was the one who got to play St. Andrews. Like, she didn't even play. She caddied for my dad. And I was like, I'm the regular caddy. Why am I getting bumped here for the major? You know what I mean? I was disgusted. But, uh, yeah, so he played St. Andrews, which, was, which, which had always been a dream of his, you know, because he'd... He'd watched the good, the great, and the good up there play yeah, over, the, over the decades. But um, yeah, so really, it all stems from him, Johnny. You know, and every time I go out, and every time I tee it up on the seventeenth, I always say a little moment to myself, you know, because he, because he passed away on the seventeenth, and I always say to myself, you know, just you know, another, another good hit here and get me to the eighteenth, kind of thing, you know. So he's always kind of in the back of my mind when, I, particularly when I'm out on the golf course, you know. Yeah, so it's all down to him. There yeah. you go. It, it see, it seems like he's obviously still a huge part of, <clears throat> of, of everything of course yeah, yeah father but it also seems like 
the the principles that he's instilled in you, your well, son yeah. and your son in terms of well, he was very similar, in, in, like because he he was a printer by trade, but he was also in show business. He played in the show bands back in the sixties and seventies. He actually played with Frank Sinatra. Would you believe? Um, wow. His band had a you know, a couple of weeks residency in a place that doesn't exist anymore called the Regency Hotel in New York, and the story got went that Sinatra played a couple of nights with them. Now, of course, how's he going to prove that? You know, that was his pub story, but. And I used to remind him of that, you know, I said, Jesus, when you told that story a week ago, there was 300 in the crowd. Now tonight there's 500. And he used to say, he said, it doesn't matter how many were there. He said, it's closer to Sinatra than you'll ever get. So he, he was kind of in showbiz as well. And he kind of taught me that thing of um, just having a work ethic because they were working Monday to Thursday. And then they would gig Friday, Saturday, Sunday night, and then go back to work, you know. And I kind of did that for years. I was working and then doing shows at night. And, and like him, I was crisscrossing the country doing shows and trying to get back to go to work. And so he told me some great war stories about, you know, touring the country with, with show bands. And so I suppose he has, he's instilled everything in me in terms of a work ethic and, and principles. But, you know, one of the greatest shames I have is that like he died, he passed away when I was only 25. So he never saw me do anything in terms of acting. You know, he saw me do a few amateur things, but, you know, he never didn't see me make my West End debut or, you know, didn't see the first movie I made or the first IFTA or whatever, all that kind of stuff. But more importantly, he didn't see any of his grandkids born, didn't see us get married. And that's obviously the bigger thing. But no huge part in there in my life. And uh, and my love of golf is 100% down to him, you know. You, you've mentioned there that he uh, <clears throat> he passed away on the, the seventh mm. green at RD. Yeah. Um, I've heard that this is quite, quite, quite darkly, a quite a funny story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, I remember it was a Saturday morning. I was working at the time. I was driving a van at the time with Sam Hire, and I was in work on that Saturday. And he woke me up. It was a beautiful day, and he said to me, look at that. He said, the sun's splitting the stones. He said, you're going to work, and I'm going to play golf. I was like, <laughs> you know, the usual rubbing it in, as golfers do. Anyway, I go to work, and, of course, then five or six hours later, I get a phone call from one of the lads who was in the four-ball with him and said, listen, your dad's at the time of the I said, Jesus Christ. Is he all right, Liam? He said, no, no, he said, he's gone. So, of course, shock. And the lads, I had to drive home, tell my sisters, and to ring my brother who was working in Germany, tell him the news. And then the lads who played with him that day came back to the house and they said, look, we have to go back up and you have to go and identify the body. I thought, Jesus. Okay, so, so myself and and Liam Tallon and uh, the lads he was playing, we drove up all the way up to Hardy. Not a word in the car, as you can well you can imagine. Very somber. Not a word. I go in, I identify the body. Yeah, it's my dad. And back in the car driving back down to Dublin not a word until we got to about Betty's town where Liam Talent piped up and he said do you know what Simon it didn't really matter because he was putting for a six <laughs> he said he'd scratched the hole anyway and the, and the car just filled with laughter and my dad would have pissed himself laughing if he'd heard that as well but I thought that just sums up golfers for me you know it's just that humour it didn't matter he was putting for a six brilliant absolutely brilliant have you gone back to RD and played it since? Do you know what? Funny enough, I've never played it and I've never been to it. And I was only up there. I was up in Drogheda recently and I was talking to the local superintendents, police superintendents. And somehow the topic of RD Golf Club came up and I said to him, I said, you know, funny enough, I said, my dad passed. He said, oh, Jesus Christ, when was that? I said, 96. And I said, you know, I've always wanted to, like, maybe talk to the club maybe put a bench there or something a little plaque you know that, that, that the family would put there and so he said i'll organize that thing so hopefully within the next couple of weeks um the lovely people in rd will 
I'll go up there and we'll have a chat and sort something out for him. And uh, it'd just be nice to have a bench there. So sure. I saw one recently in Malahide in the Pitch and Putt Club, and I thought it was gorgeous, just beside one of the little tea boxes and a little plaque on it. It's not dedicated to anybody <clears throat> in particular. It just says, look, stand here, enjoy that view, uh, and remember those who 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 have walked here before and aren't enjoying that view anymore. And I thought, that's, you know, that's good. And I sat down, I sat down with Elliot and said, let's just sit down for a second and just look out here. The sun's splitting the stones. There's nobody out. It's only us. Isn't this great? And he was like, yeah. And I thought, that's lovely. And then I thought, I'd love to do something like that up in RD. I don't even know what the hole is. I don't even know if it's a par three, a par four, par five. I don't know, you know. So I'll go up and I'll do something up there definitely for him and market, you know, albeit nearly 30 years later. That'd be lovely, though. That'd be yeah, it would be nice. Um, we'll move. We'll move on from uh, from to hunter <clears throat> current golf. I'm kind of happier. Christ, stories, yeah. I know. Yeah. Um, you're with, with work. You've you've travelled all around. Yeah. The world and all, all around the states. Has golf got to travel with you as you've you've done a few shows? Not you've really. Not, yeah, not everywhere. really. No, I've been all over the states, and I've never, I've never played golf in the states. Um, and I've been, you know, as you say, I've worked everywhere. Um, no, the golf never travelled. Really, funny enough, um, just the thoughts of that. You know, it's hard enough leaving your wife and kids with a suitcase going away to Spain to work for three months without rubbing in salt and bringing the fucking golf clubs as well, Johnny. Do you know what I mean? I think that'll be taking the Mickey a bit, but well, I feel like that's the difference between you and me, right? There. Well, I know. You see, you'd rather forget your suitcase and bring the clubs. You know what I mean? But I think, I think more as I'm getting a little bit older now, I think you know. I'm definitely going to start plotting that a bit more because I've walked some of the best golf courses in the world. Now I want to play them. You know, I've played a lot of golf in Ireland, obviously North, South, East and West. But I think particularly having walked <clears throat> some of the British open courses, I'd love to get over there. Cause I love links. I love links golf. Uh, you know, and that that's my first love is links golf. You know, um, I'm not a huge fan of the, of the parkland dart courses that kind of the, the PGA tour have week in week in week out until the U S open comes around. But yeah, so definitely it's going to be, it's on the agenda, Johnny. It's on the agenda. Very good. So this week is obviously a big week for you, for you then as a golf, golf fan, a golf yeah. fan, you, you camp in front of the TV, do you for the, for the open championship? I got up at 10 past six this morning in time to watch uh, Paul Laurie stripe the first tee shot at the open this morning. And I've been watching it all day. All day. Love it. Has it lived up to the memories? Yeah, it has. And, you know, <clears throat> it's strange this year because, you know, having, having watched the, the practice rounds on the coverage and, you know, listened to all the pros, they were saying, you know, this isn't going to be a shooting the lights out thing. This is, this is as fast as we've ever seen it. It's, it's firm, it's fast, it's fiery. You know, Rory himself said anything close to, you know, 74 rounds of that, you'll be in it. <laughs> and then Cameron Young goes out in stripes to 64. And he missed an eagle putt, by the way. But but today it was a bit benign. But no, St. Andrews is just, oh, Jesus, that just, just every hole is a postcard, you know. Yeah, and it looks very easy. I love one of the, I love watching the coverage because you hear these stories, you know. And I love one commentator said today, I think it might have been Sam Sneed or one of Varden or one of them on his first trip over to St. Andrews was getting driven to the course. And as he passed the course, he went, Oh man, look at that. That's a, it's an abandoned golf club. And your mama, no, that's St. Andrews. Cause it looks just like a field. It's just flat. It looks very easy, but there's 140 odd bungers on it. Most of which you can't see from the tee boxes and the greens, the biggest greens in the world, shared greens, undulations, the wind magic, bring it on. They don't ask me who's going to win it. I haven't a clue, but 
Cameron Young's going well. Yeah, he's doing well so far anyway. So um, you were saying there that your your son Elliot's getting into golf. And yeah. You and your dad obviously went over to plenty of British Opens. Is that yeah. a tradition you think? He's oh, absolutely. Doing? I mean, what I'd love to do, I've never done, of course, look, every golfer wants to go and see the Masters, but that's definitely on the on the checklist. Um, although quite how you get your hands on tickets, I think I'll have to win an Emmy or a Golden Globe or an Oscars just to give myself a shout at a ticket. So I'm working on that as well. But I, yeah, no, I think... <laughs> Good luck. Uh, yeah, the best of luck with that. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, definitely bringing him to tournaments. I brought him down to the Irish Open, the Pro-Arm, just to just to give him a flavour and to show him. Because you know yourself, Johnny, when you stand beside these guys and they hit the ball, it's a different sound. It's a different... It's just such a different energy. And, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer. I've, I've always enjoyed watching people do the do what they do at, at a high level, be it a carpenter making something, be it a chef. I'm watching these pros play golf. It's just... it's it's It's... It's art. It's magic, you know. And I wanted Elliot to experience that, and also to see, you know, his dream is to to get a scholarship to go to the states to play golf now, you know, and go to college in America, <clears throat> which is great. He's a straight A student, so he has that side boxed off. Now it's just about the game of golf. But um, and just to 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 follow these guys around and see the preparation that goes in, like standing on the putting green, watching these guys practicing, watching them pitch, and watching them playing the metal bunkers. Then come to the first tee, chats with the caddy, yardage books, plotting their way around the weather, the winds, factoring everything in. Just wanted them to get an experience of that to see that it's not just standing up in the tee and walloping it as fast as you can. Because, like most kids, like me when I was his age, at the driving range, he says, How far should I be able to hit this seven iron? I said, And I always say, It's not about how far you can hit it, it's where you're hitting it. Like you can hit a seven iron shorter than the fella hits. The next fella hits a seven iron, but it doesn't make any difference. It's whatever the yardage calls for, whatever you can hit that club to. You know, it's about precision. So you know, I'm building that into him. But absolutely, I'd love to bring him away, maybe over to a British Open, maybe next year. Definitely down to the K Club next year for the Irish Open again. He loved it. Who did you guys follow on Sunday? Well, we ticked all the boxes. We did. <clears throat> we followed Lowry uh, and Power, and then my favorite, Podrick Harrington. Uh, we, we got up close to Podrick, and then I had a couple of pals playing in the pro am. So, Ken DeHardy, we followed Ken around for a while. And I gave him some abuse from the fairway, and then, <laughs> and then Jimmy Nesbitt. I, I know Jimmy years and met Jimmy down there. And it Jimmy was great. On the podcast next, next week. Is he? Yeah, yeah. I said, James, I Jimmy. The, I met him there on the Wednesday as well. He's a lovely man, loves his golf, you know. Lovely, I've known Jimmy for years. Yeah. So we met and hung around with Jimmy for a while. And then we kind of just experienced as well, like, you know, because it, it's when you're trying to explain what the tournament is to, to a 13 year old, like, like when you see the championship village, you know, and all the different golf shops and the different things that are happening, there's live music and there's razzmatazz, you know what I mean? Which is, and, and I remember that from when I went to the Open when I was 13 in the UK, going to the championship village, the swarms of people, thousands of people. And, people getting autographs and gloves and it's just the paraphernalia that went was amazing. So just to get him to, for him to experience all that was fantastic. And I'm going to try and aim to play in the pro-am next year, get him to caddy for me. Cause he said, he said to me driving home that day, he said, dad, you have to play in that next year. I said, well, I'll try. He said, no, you have to, cause I want a caddy. I said, okay. Right. <laughs> so we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Again, good luck. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. I'm putting my name down now, Johnny. Now. <laughs> Are you getting to play much? No, not really. Not really. I was lucky enough to play with you guys. Um, I'm, I'd play about, 
I think I played about four rounds the last couple, the last two years. I'm not getting out enough because, as you know, I'm working every Friday, Saturday, Sunday uh, with Ireland AM. And then when I'm off during the week, all my friends are in work. So it's tricky just to coordinate things. I'm with four kids, you know, you're doing school runs, you've all that kind of life gets in the way of it. But I'm absolutely making a decision now. I'm going to join a club uh, with Elliot, uh, where we are in North County Dublin, join a club very, very soon. And because of his love in it now, I'm going to get him out and I'm going to bring him out. And, uh, you know, I'm going to start playing more because I was playing three three times a week regularly back in the day. And that's how you get your handicap down. You can't, you can't play twice a year and expect to roll up and, you know, and, and shoot a decent score. You can't. It just doesn't happen. Like anything. <clears throat> exactly. It's, it, it's like anything. You can't just turn up and do it, you know. And that's what I'm trying to impress on Elliot, you know, when you watch... You watch Seamus Power knocking it and Larry knocking it out the first tee in the Irish Open. You're saying to him, like, they haven't just pulled up in the car like we did and get out and walk onto the tee. They're two and a half hours. Mm. They're working with their swing coaches, with their short game coaches, with their putting coaches. They walk on there fully warmed up, fully focused, physically ready, mentally ready. That's how they're able to do it. And that's how they're able to do it under pressure. And that's one thing I think as well, <clears throat> excuse me, a comparison between what I do as a job in terms of performing and in golf, it's performing under pressure, mm. you know, because everybody thinks they can play golf, <clears throat> but they can't do it in front of five or 10,000 people. Similarly, everybody, a lot of people think they can act, but try and do it eight times a week in the West End in front of 1,200 people. That, that brings its own pressure. Um, and that only, the only way of alleviating that pressure on stage or on the golf course is practice. Practice, practice, practice. I was watching Scotty Sheffield this morning. <clears throat> um, and his coach, or Colin Morikawa, I was watching today on the range. And his coach was standing behind him. The commentator was saying, that guy's been his coach since he was eight. He's probably watched Morikawa hit over a million golf balls. And yet he's standing there behind him, videoing each drive on the range. He'd stop, they'd have a look at it. They go back, he'd hit another one, a car, that go, and it's just repetition, 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 repetition. Um, and I think they're the great, I think golf is a great way of teaching people life lessons, particularly young men, you know what I mean? Yeah. Just in terms of etiquette, how to carry yourself, how to behave yourself. It teaches you life lessons, you know, uh, you know, perseverance, training, commitment, honesty. I love that in the game. And I love that in the sport of golf. That's why the whole live golf thing is kind of, it's just soured. It's just soured. Or they're trying to sour the game. It's not just another tour. Like Lee Westwood was talking today about it. And, you know, he was asked, because he shot four hundred a day, he's, he's in contention. Now, should he be playing there? You know, and he was asked, you know, will, you know you're know, you playing at the British Open. Does missing majors in the future upset you? And you went, no, not really. It's just another tour. It's like the South African tour. South American, it's just another tour, and just and to pick on one tour and ban those players is not fair. That's not the point, anyway. That's another discussion, Johnny. But <laughs> I, I take my golf. I, I love, I love the heritage of the game, and when I see players like Poulter, who I adore in terms of Ryder Cup, do, you know, moving over. Why, why are they going over there? Do they, do they need that much more money? Are they stuck for a few quid? They can't be, and particularly Poulter and Westward, all they're playing for now is surely is for championships, is for titles. Why do they go, well, you know, what's the point of winning a, a Centurion in London? Who cares? You know, it, anyway. 
Yeah. You've opened a can of worms there, Johnny. Yeah, we've, uh, <laughs> we may as well go all in. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> With both feet. So you actually kind of touched upon what, what I wanted to follow up with next, which was, are there many similarities between your profession and your love of golf? So is there anything other than the repetition and the practice inside and performing under pressure that you take from acting that you can apply to golf? Or is there anything that you have taken from golf in your time growing up with your dad on the golf course that you've taken? Yeah, um, I, I definitely think it's, it's that it, it, that word repetition is hugely important. I remember a couple of years ago, I had this mad idea 10 years ago, this crazy idea about, I thought, you know what? I'd love to represent Ireland in the Olympics, right? And I thought, what sport could I do? And I said, are there any sports that involve standing still? <laughs> and I looked at archery and I thought, okay, archery, yeah, that's standing still. I mean, why not? Gina Davis has represented the United States twice, the Olympics, an actor. I thought, why not? So I, can't, I contacted a friend of mine and I said, do you fancy making a documentary series about me trying to qualify for the Olympics? <laughs> and he said, do what? I said, archery. And he laughed his arse off. Anyway, at the time we were trying to qualify for the London Olympics, so it would have been about 2008. So it was after Beijing for London. I contacted the Archery uh, Federation Ireland, got a coach, and I started training. And what I found with archery was the first night that I went up and I got this lovely man, Vinny, was my coach, <clears throat> who coached one of the Irish squads, archery squads. And I hit my first couple, threw my first couple of arrows, and he went, he said, do you play golf? I said, I did, yeah, quite. He said, did you play last? I said, yeah, yeah. I said, why? He said, you can tell. He said, because archery is the exact same. It's repetition. Golf is the same swing every time. Archery is the same movement every time. Repetition. You shoot at, ter- shoot at targets at 30 meters, 50, 70, and 90. But it's the same movement. And he said the similarities are there. <clears throat> so that idea of repetition in terms of what I do is for a living, that's exactly what I do. There are similarities between my job and another passion of mine, which is cooking. And, you know, I have great admiration for professional chefs because they're performers and they have to, like, particularly at the top level of the game, like professional golfers, Michelin star chefs, they have to produce that level of food every night, every single night. No matter what's happened during their own day, you've got to go out and do it every night. Actors are the same. Golfers are the same. And we've seen over the years, you know, the trials and tribulations that golfers have, none more so than Tiger, and you're watching them today. And he's given, like, he was six over at one point today. And he's given it every shot 100% attention. Makes two birdies in a row and you think, Jesus, he can win it now because he has that look in his eyes. But that's just, it's, it's that never give up. It's just keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. As I said, I think it's a, it's a great, it's a great sport. All sports are, let's be honest, but our sport, golf is a great training ground for life lessons. And the lessons that I've learned, as you said, from my dad from when I was caddying, I still do that. I still put my feet together when I caddy, you know, I have to stand holding the pin. I still do that. <laughs> you just hear me dad going, stand still, will you? <laughs> don't wave the flag. You know, don't, don't annoy the golfer. I still do that. So, yeah, I suppose there are, there are definitely lessons in golf that you carry through life, 100%. I was lucky enough to, to play with you at Moy Valley. And well, you say lucky, Johnny. Uh, it was possibly one of the most fun rounds of golf I've ever had. Uh, we did a bit of crack. It was a lot of fun. Um, 
How do you been? Yeah, you said you had played once or so that year before. That I round. think I played. I think that was the second round of golf I had this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a lot of fun. The um, the weather Great. held up eventually. So it, it, eventually, the rain yeah. was horizontal for the first hour or so, but then it it it, it eased off a little bit, Johnny. I imagine for the first three or four holes, you were like, what am I doing out here with this guy? I, I was more thinking about poor Elliot, who was down caddy and thinking, Jesus, this is golf. I don't think so. But I remember you said something to him. You said, Elliot, if you still want to play golf when we're finished today, you've been bitten by the bug. And by God, he has. He loved being there that day. Loved it. It was a great, it was a really, really fun day. And yeah, thank you for coming out. We, oh, it was my really pleasure. Enjoyed it. And I made um, a birdie. You did, yeah. I got a birdie, Johnny. I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, I have had a birdie in three years, maybe. No, I didn't yeah, change no, it. I, think I think a couple of holes before that, you nearly killed me as well. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But that, that this is not part of the game, Johnny. You yeah. just move on to the next <laughs> hole. <laughs> You're just keeping me on my toes. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, that was great fun. It's a lovely course. Um, More valley, yeah. And it was just, it was, it was a lot of fun playing with yourself and Will. And uh, the weather didn't help us, but we kept going. And uh we had a lot of fun. We were we were all well. I was all over the course. I was in the water at one point, and that ah, was great crack. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. We must uh, we must get another game in soon. Hundred um, percent. Listen, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate chatting to you. It was, it was great to have a have a chat. Um, last question is going to be this. Well, she's second last question. Okay, come on. Um, one thing I'm always intrigued by, and it seems like this game has holds a lot to you. Yeah. So I guess if you can put it into words, what what does golf mean to you? Uh, to me, golf means family to me. Um, it's something that I was lucky enough to share a passion with my sister, my brother, and my dad, and my mom uh, when I was growing up through watching golf and then luckily going out to play golf. And it's something that I'm now passing on to my kids. Um, Again, starting out watching it, learning how to caddy, and they're getting out there and playing. It's it's something that I think when you get bitten by it, it never leaves you. And I think what brings us back onto the course <laughs> time after time is that one good shot. So that one birdie I had in my valley, I still think I can win the British Open. Because <laughs> <laughs> I just need to do that in every hole, Johnny. It's a simple game. <laughs> Easy game after that. The 59 is calling for you. 52. Oh, Lord. Didn't mention the fact that I knocked it out of bounds on the next tee, but that's the beauty of the game. And then the last one is, um, I know you said you wouldn't pick one, but who's going to win the British Open? Um, I, you know, I'd love it to be Lowry. I'd love it to be Seamus Power. I had a sneaky bet on Podrick. Um, I think it could be Rory's year. He traditionally his first rounds. I think I heard a stat today that over the last couple of years, his first rounds in majors were uh, twenty four over, and in the last twelve months, it's fourteen under. Yeah. So he's trending in the right direction. It could be Rory's. Um, Scheffler still there. I think hand on heart, if it's not Rory, I'd love to see Cameron Smith do it because he must have a pain in his arse collecting runners up medals at this stage. <laughs> so I'd love to see him do it. I'm a big growl for the Australian golfers. I love Greg Norman back in the day. Loved Adam Scott. I like Mark Leishman. I've, I've backed him several times. He's come very close on a couple of occasions. But Cameron Smith definitely has a major in him. And today, watching him even in those conditions, he's famed for his long putting. He was draining some cracking putts today. But then from 10 and 8 feet in, he was draining them as well. And for me, if that's what you're doing on a, in, on a course like St. Andrews, you have every chance. So if it's not Rory or one of the Irish boys, Cameron Smith. 
that's very 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 good <laughs> Cam Smith's is uh, it's a, he's, a, he's been so close oh, man. you feel man. I do have a good record in terms of picking winners I had I had Fitzpatrick and Zalatoris for the US Open so I had him first and second I had Matsuyama last year for the Masters, so I, I, my crystal ball works in that in that way. But um, yeah, I had a sneaky bet on Podrick this week, and I think he, he, I think last I saw he was one under. He might still be there. It makes the goodies a shout. But I think in terms of a golfing story and what's happened in the last twelve months in terms of the majors, nobody would begrudge Cameron Smith um, the British Open. And what a British Open to win, by the way, the hundred and fiftieth at the home of golf. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. As Nicholas it said, it feels different. Like even it does feel different, absolutely. And like even watching, um, watching some of the guys just teeing it up today. Like Max Homer, who was playing with Tiger Woods today, tweeted this morning at five o'clock. I can't believe I'm playing in St Andrews at the 150th, and I'm playing with Tiger. Like he's like us playing. Yeah, it's like, and I love that about the game. The fact that Scotty Scheffler came from nowhere and he's world number one. Yeah, he, like he got to number one quicker than Tiger did. I love that about the game. It's not an elitist sport. People have an image of it, I think, as an elitist sport. It's not a cheap sport to play. No. But, you know, the clubs that I used when I was 12 and 13 didn't cost a fortune. I played at my father's club for 10 years after he died before I bought my own set of golf clubs. So if you want to get played, you can play it. And particularly now in Ireland, we're spoiled with good golf courses. And because of the times we've been through in terms of recessions and that, most courses will accept the green fee. So yeah. go and play. Go and play wherever you can. You've worked spoiled for choice. Yeah, it's the beautiful thing about the about the game in golf where especially even with the with the open, for an example. Yeah. The guys like Ronan Malarney, David Carey, who Absolutely. got open qualifying, they're there and they're on equal footing as 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 Tiger and as Rory and isn't that incredible? It's fantastic, and for those, but it's guys, a, it is a it is a proper open championship in terms of anybody can get to play in it if you just qualify. You know, it's not about world rankings. Yes, there's exemptions, and yes, there's automatic qualifications, or whatever. But there's still a chance for a club pro or a decent amateur to get there if you want, and they've got there. Like I was watching Ronan today, he trying to crack and put for a birdie one point, and the commentator said, "Yeah, he qualified at such and such." As you say. He's on the same. He's on the same. Uh, you know, tea listings as Tiger Woods. It's ridiculous at the 150th Open at the home, but it'll always be Seve's venue because that put on 18th and that Matador celebration where he he signaled all three sides of the grandstands in the navy jumper with the big white collar, the black hair flapping in the breeze. Magic. Magic. <laughs> we'll leave it there. Thank you so much. A pleasure, Johnny. On the tee, Jack Nicholas. This is the minute the millions around the world have waited for. We will allow you to enjoy all of this. They are dancing in the pubs of Dublin. Harrington with an ace. And we have a shining star at sunset. Rory continues his run to greatness. The return to glory. 